When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. Hey everybody, Michael Thiessen here, and you are listening to Open Mic, and today you're listening to Open Mic with Michaels, uh, plural. Uh, I have a good friend on the show today, Pastor Michael Clary, and he's going to be talking with me about pastoring in a volcanic world where every foot just seems to be stepping into another uh, another incinerator of some sort. So I like Michael, that. A volcanic world. That's good. That's good. I, Vivid. I, I stole that. I think it's the title of a, I think it's the title of a book. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll have to give credit in a, in a few minutes uh, as to where I got that book. Um, I think it was Leonard Sweet actually wrote that book, mm. uh, something similar to that. Anyways, everybody, uh, Michael and I are going to have a great conversation, but as always, you know that this podcast is produced by Liberty Coalition Canada in partnership with ChristianWeek.org. Liberty Coalition Canada exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness and to defend those in Canada who stand for that and stand for him. ChristianWeek.org exists to provide a practical, balanced, hope-filled perspective on national and global issues. So you can head over to ChristianWeek.org and intake some good curated Christian news. Um, as the year comes to a close, everybody, we want to remind you that we need you to make a difference. Uh, we are seeking to raise $50,000 before the end of 2023. Of course, you know that our chief litigator, James Kitchen, has been busy on all of our case filings. That means that we've got some invoices to cover for James, and we really need you to partner with us. So your gift of $100 or $200 or $2,000 or $20,000 would be fantastic. And we really want you to join us on mission as we come to our year end in order to make sure that these legal cases are covered. So thank you for all of your donations throughout the year, by the way, we really appreciate it. Uh, just before Michael and I get talking about it, I want to introduce you again to our friends over at RockLink. Um, we are so happy to partner with RockLink Investment Partners who understand the investment challenges that you have today. RockLink is an independent investment management firm focused solely on creating portfolios of high quality businesses anchored in the time-tested principles of value investing. And of course, they do not shy away um, from dealing with the problems of the World Economic Forum. So um, email rocklink at info at rocklink.com or visit them at www.rocklink.com. That is link with a C. So Michael, let's get down to it. We are talking about pastoring in a volcanic world uh i think i think we are going to try to go rapid fire here so pastoring in a volcanic world biblical sexuality go oh man it's so easy um haven't you figured this out yet i mean we've we've got <laughs> well, it all figured out here at my church <laughs> like, i know how it works Oh man, it, it, it's crazy. I mean, the the world is just hell bent on on twisting and perverting every sexual norm and every tradition, and the the design of sexuality that God has given to us uh, is not received as such. It is not received as something given, created, designed for a glorious purpose. It is whatever I can do with my body to maximize my pleasure, uh, or um, however, it, it's like a form of self-expression, like sexuality is like a, a, a skin suit that people are putting on now where you can have, 
you know, man pretending to be a woman and vice versa, or none of the above. You can be, I, I think I did a Google search once where there's like 70, this was a couple of years ago, 70 plus different genders that are recognized in some fashion. Um, but it, it, it's crazy. And, and of course, you know, Christians think like, well, I don't believe all that. You know, I'm straight, my family's straight, my wife's straight. We don't, we're, we don't have that to worry about. And they don't realize that this is like poison in the water. And even though you may not personally hold to some of these crazy views, you are affected by them because it's everywhere. It's in the water we drink, metaphorically speaking, in terms of culture. Uh, it's in the air we breathe. It's it's everywhere. How you had to qualify that? <laughs> I, I know I'm on Mike Tyson's podcast, so I have to say, metaphorically, it's in the water that we drink. Just in case, I we have well, a new tangent of conspiracy theory. That's fantastic. I mean, the IQ of your audience is off the charts. So I wanted to see: can I squeeze a five syllable word in here? That's uh, so metaphorically. Actually, it was <laughs> metaphorically. That's like five or six. I'm like, I, I, I feel like I have to impress you, impress I, your audience by using big fifty cent words. So whatever I can do to help. <laughs> you know, the thing I think that's startling as a pastor, you bring up this point, uh, many people dismiss what's going on because they've, of course, just grown up in the in the culture. They've grown up in the teaching of the church. They they see God's creational norms out there and they go, people can't really believe this. And, and I hear Christians do that all the time, you know, wh whether it's like, you know, whether it's like, you know, we're producing a video and we're talking about, you know, the medical industry kind of pushing, pushing vaccines really hard in a different nuanced way that's problematic and it, whatever you just constantly hear people go people aren't that stupid are they or <laughs> or people don't really believe that and they don't realize it's a matter of it's a matter of like rebellion against god for and and then people do end up accepting mm -hmm. these lies they do yeah and, and I don't think it's, I think you have, you have your sympathizers and then your true believers. I mean, your true believers are the people that, that they are convinced in some way that they are a man living in a woman's body or something like that. I mean, they've, they've bought into it, but then you have those that think that the virtuous Christian thing to do is to treat all sin with compassion and to sympathize with people and to buy into the narrative that they are hurt or they've been um, marginalized or victimized or oppressed in some way. And so the th to be like Jesus is to, uh, is, is to be uh, non-judgmental in every way and to not correct them or confront them, but to treat them as though they are victims of some oppression. And that it, it's like our virtues as Christians are, are turned against us to where we now have to play by the left's rules and the way that we even talk about these things. Um, and that's that's how it kind of gets into our minds to where we start to accept the framing, accept some of the presuppositions of that worldview and adopt it into our thinking while on the surface rejecting the the ideology on the end, uh, you know, internally in places that we maybe haven't thought about very explicitly. We've started to buy into the logic that produced it in the first place. And that that plays itself out over time, you know, maybe in a generation or so, or maybe just in a few years, you find yourself finding more points of agreement with it, even though you might have initially rejected it. And that's how it sort of seeps into our bloodstream and, you know, it, and churches, groups, denominations, organizations, parachurches can be captured by this ideology if it isn't met with stiff resistance along the way. It's interesting you talked about framing it and the image that came into my mind is you literally take a picture frame, you make it a rainbow picture frame, and then you put the word love in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. That completely yeah. that completely changes that same word love in a picture frame. If that picture frame is a white picture is a white frame with with the cross, in, uh, you know, yeah. uh, Im embedded in it somewhere. Um, and they I don't use, know why they use biblical I of language, biblical yeah. imagery. You know, it's a rainbow, you know, it's Noah's Ark, you know, it's like this symbol of peace and love and harmony and so forth. And they, 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 they directly attack Christian symbols and imagery to be able to promote the opposite message. Yeah. And they, they know exactly that the symbol represents God's judgment on humanity and then his grace on his people. And they are outright denying mm -hmm. God's judgment. They're, they're, it, it is a statement against God explicitly. Okay. So before we move on from biblical sexuality, I want to give you an opportunity to shamelessly plug your book. Um, 
and talk just a little bit about it right now because you've you've written something recent recently and that's one of the things that I get excited about when guys are coming on the podcast to share about their most recent writings. What have you been doing? Yeah, um, well, the book is called God's Good Design, a biblical, theological, and practical guide to human sexuality. Um, I don't have my paper copy here, but I do have my Kindle uh, pulled up, so maybe I can uh, show the cover to to everyone. Um, so here's the uh, here's the the Kindle cover, but the paperback cover looks the same. Um, but the I wrote this book because uh, a few years ago I was really needing answers on how do how do I address questions of sexuality for my church um, because. I'm near a college campus. Uh, we have lots of students that come, lots of young people. And in our context, there's we're, we're, we kind of see the leading edge before it hits mainstream in the rest of the culture. Um, so I was, I was running into some problems um, just in terms of teaching, pastoral care, the resistance I was meeting on sexuality. And um, I wanted a resource that was not so much written to scholars and for academics, but something written at the pastoral level, but went beyond the typical, well, husband's ahead of the home, wife is to submit to him, which is, that's kind of where it stops, but really uh, gave some, uh, gave more of a holistic worldview about sexuality. Um, and I couldn't, I could, I found some resources that I found helpful, but nothing really put it all together in a way that, that I needed. And so as I did more research, I ended up teaching a class on the material I was developing and then ended up just turning my class notes into the book. And that was, you know, published at this past June. Um, but it's, it's written for pastors and for lay people, uh, people like biblically minded Christians that want to understand not just what are the rules and the roles of sexuality, but what does masculinity mean? What does femininity mean? Why did God create us this way? Uh, what is his purpose in it? What is his design in it? Uh, and then apply it to our modern world with pastoral uh, counsel. Because in the modern world, I mean, there's a lot of challenges to to living out our sexuality the way God designed it. So I take 15 years of pastoral experience and, uh, you know, weave it into this book. And there's chapters on um, the differences between men and women, fatherhood, motherhood, singleness, sexual dynamics in the church, sexual morality, the household. Uh, all of these are... Um, individual chapters that can be uh, referenced uh, individually or, you know, um, or just read straight through. So I've, the feedback that I've heard so far is that it's been super helpful for people. I've gotten great reviews on it. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about it and the, re how the reception it's received. That's great. Um, well, while you're talking about that, um, that project that you're working on, I want to remind um, everybody, biblical sexuality is coming up on January 14th, 2024. So Michael is a pastor in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, we live probably about 45, 50 minutes away from each other. It's been great to develop a friendship with Michael. And uh, as, as, as churches all around North America are trying to remain pure biblically um, with regards to sex and sexuality, trying to then push back, not just let the culture kind of invade in and recede, but push back publicly. Um, we, of course, every January, the second week of January, we invite churches all across uh, Canada and the United States to join together and preach a biblical sexual ethic and on God's design for uh, marriage and sexuality, set aside that in your preaching calendar. If you're a pastor, if you go to a church um, and your pastor might not be aware of that, please make him aware of that. We are doing this to put our government on, on, on notice to continually say that in Canada, no matter what laws you create, um, pastors are going to defy those laws and preach God's word. And then here in the United States to, to, you know, continue to push this envelope because this is a cultural uh, battlefield. This is where, mm -hmm. This is where the battle is going. You know, people say, hey, do you want to die on that hill? Like, this is a hill we're going to die on. Um, <laughs> so we're not going to die. Like, meaning the church is not going to die in itself, but your church might the die. The idols will die. <laughs> well, <laughs> the idols and the church, the churches that fall into this framing that you were talking about, you know, mm. elevating the idols, um, they're just going to, they're just going to be eviscerated. And so again, that's uh, January 14th. 
2024, we really want you to be a part of that. Um, we've got a minute video that's going out on all of our socials. Make sure you follow that. So, okay, good. Michael, that's our first section. Uh, Can I ask you a question about that, Michael? Yeah, go for it. Do you provide um, any talking points or uh, an outline that could help pastors in, in a preparation of a, of a biblical sexuality message for that Sunday? We have got an entire page on our website that gives pointers and, and how for individuals to go and engage. Um, I don't know if we have, I don't know if we have an outline up there or anything like that, but we definitely have instructions. And, and for, for those guys who sign up at the website, there's a follow-up and, and an ongoing dis, uh, dialogue. So uh, maybe, maybe your book will be helpful to some of those guys trying to prepare some of those sermons, but we really definitely need pastors to go out and do that. Uh, Michael, this might be the first time you're hearing about it. Love for you guys to join us in that. Just consider it and we'll talk at another time. Okay. So, uh, Christian pastor, we're talking about pastoring in a volcanic world. Christian pastor just decides to run for Senate. <laughs> um, are you aware of, I'm sure you are. Are you aware of Dusty Deaver's story? Yes, I am. Um, Dusty's an acquaintance of mine. We, uh, we, we know each other. I've never met him in person, but uh, we've interacted some online. We're in a, um, you know, a group, a group message together. And so I've gotten to know him there and um, I got to see he's a real deal. Uh, it's a it's an Oklahoma State Senate, I believe. So he's not U.S. Senate; he's State Senate. Um, but the thing that amazes me about it is that he has uh, he ran and campaigned on a full throated, gutsy Christian message. No, I mean nothing nothing held back. Um, Anti abortion, so abortion abolitionist, um, and a strong sense of this is a like he he is running because you know he wants to see this nation recognize Jesus as Lord. And he wants to do that in the state house. So, uh, he won, he won by 10 points, I believe. Um, this was just this past Tuesday that he won. So yeah, I'm super encouraged. I, and, and I, and everything I've heard of dusty, everything I've seen of dusty is that he's the real deal when it comes to his faithfulness as a Christian man. And as a pastor, in fact, um, uh, his elders were the ones that urged him to run. So this was not something that he's just sort of, you know, out on his own, uh, apart from, you know, the authority of his church, like his elders said, Hey, we can, we can absorb the extra time that it will take with you working in politics. We can handle, uh, the extra workload at the church for you to do this. So they urged him to run and, uh, I'm blown away. He, he beat Democrats that threw all kinds of attack ads at him and, um, the Democrats, they, he was w definitely out financed. Um, he had, there are lots of professionals that were advising the democratic campaign. Um, but he beat them all and, uh, praise God for that. He's a good man. I want to talk about an expression that you used. I think it's really important. The idea of full throated. So, um, I, I've, I've literally visited your church for a conference called, uh, speak plainly. Mm -hmm. And we heard our friend, um, Chase Davis addressed issue of winsomeness. Uh, in Kentucky here, we just lost um, the governor's race. Uh, as far as the Republicans, they just lost the governor's race uh, to Andy Bashir again. And it seemed to me that I couldn't figure out what Daniel Cameron's policy platforms were about. Like it, hmm. So there just seems to be this strategy within Christianity and within uh, conservative politics, don't be full-throated. Don't That's speak right. plainly. Always bait and switch. You know, get them in with the drummers descending from the ceiling and going back and <laughs> up and down. You know, get them in with the art. Uh, you know, whenever you've pastored a small church, that just makes you angry because you're like, I don't, I don't have those artists and I don't have that budget. And you're telling me that's my way to. So, so we've got this evangelical, um, I want to say idolatry of, of pragmatism and marketing. Mm -hmm. Dusty just, Dusty just seemed to prove that all wrong. Like we've, I've been saying to Christian uh, politicians, I've been saying to conservatives in Canada while we live there clearly, you know, double down, don't be afraid of reporters say what you mean. They're going yeah. to, they're going to pervert 
like they're going to twist your words and they're going to actually ignore your words and just paint you with the brush they want to paint you with anyways. Just speak your mind and let it be a biblical mind. And it yeah. and, and Dusty's a great example of that succeeding. That's right. Yeah, the 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 mindset that you're talking about there, it, it, we see it in politics and we see it in uh, the church and in other places too. But the, but the mindset is is this lie that uh, kind of the the if the nicer you are, the better reception you'll receive, um, and that that it doesn't work. It it simply whatever whatever name that they might call you that you want to avoid being called the moment that they find out what you really believe, they're going to call you that name. So let's take Christian nationalism, for example. Um, I don't, the name means nothing to me. Um, the ideas that it represents mean something to me, but the name means nothing to me. And of all the names that could possibly like Christian fascism, you know, like whatever the left wants to call us um, throughout history, the particular movements are named by their opponents as terms of derision and then they're adopted by the adherents to that view, uh, and they kind of own it. Um, and and then it becomes, you know, so Methodism is an example. It's a term of derision. Um, there are others, other examples, Quakers being another one. Um, but these being, but Christian nationalism is, is an example. That they're going, if you say, I believe that my Christian convictions should inform uh, how I govern as a politician, you're a Christian nationalist. Now, even if you askew the label, even if you think that, so no, I totally reject Christian nationalism. It doesn't matter. Your opponents are going to label you what they want to label you in whatever way they can do to damage you. Um, now, you take that same idea and you apply it to any, um, you know, in the church. There are pastors that believe that, you know, um, non-believers are more likely to believe the gospel if they see how nice I am. And, you know, I don't talk about hell. I don't talk about judgment. I don't talk about sin or repentance. Um, I just talk about Jesus loves you and Jesus wants a wonderful uh, life for you. And, you know, there's lots of warm fuzzies and, and all this uh, spiritually. And, and the thing is, is that that's a people know that that's not true. Uh, anybody that knows anything about Christianity knows that there's a doctrine of hell, there's a doctrine of judgment, and it's the hard edges of our doctrines that uh, it's the points of polarization are the points of power um, because it forces a decision. Um, you're confronted with something and you can no longer remain neutral. But if you're just like, you know, God loves you and God accepts you and he's for you, that doesn't force a decision. And that leaves you in your state of uh, sinfulness while coddling you and appeasing you as though God accepts you the way you are. But if we're Christians, then we believe the Bible and we believe that sin is bad and sin is wrong and sin is harmful and God is against it and invites God's judgment. Why not just say it? Um, and so I've found that the more, the bolder I am with my preaching or, or speaking out about any issue, um, there's, there's a power in that because it cuts through the noise. Um, and it does polarize because you'll, you'll attract both passionate, uh, adherents and followers that'll say, thank you that somebody's saying it. And you will also attract, you know, just the most diabolical opponents that will hate you for saying it. And that's, that's the calling of a gospel minister. Um, if you're unwilling to do that, then you're unwilling, you, you shouldn't be a gospel minister because that is what we need to do. We need to be clear, bold, direct, so that we're, we're, we're shining light in dark places. And, you know, the world hates the light. The world wants to live in its sin and the world doesn't want to hear, uh, hear a message that shines a light on their condition. Um, but, but, but we have to do it. Um, and, and the more I've done it, the more I've seen that there has been, um, it is, it, it's, it, it has been clarifying for our church because they know where I stand. They know, um, what, what we believe. And we've seen people respond to it because they're finally being confronted with a holy God and their sin. And they're, they're being challenged to um, experience conviction of sin by the spirit. Cause as you know, as, as you're preaching boldly, there is experience of the a conviction of the spirit that they, that they feel. And they're having to wrestle with, okay, what do I do? And if you're, if they're not getting a clear message, there really isn't any call to action. There really isn't any life change. So I think that, Plain speak. I mean, and I'm, I wouldn't oppose 
such things as being polite. Their decorum matters. I do think tone matters. These things matter, but usually tone is used in service of obfuscation. It's a way to obscure the message and to and to and to keep the truth uh, out of plain view. Um, but but that's that's not what we're talking about. I'm I'm saying that there is sort of things like okay, if I want to speak a difficult truth, um, then there, there's going to be ways that I can do it that is you know, you attract more flies with um, honey than vinegar. So there, there is a way to speak that is kind and gentle, uh, which I'm all for. But if kindness and gentleness are, are used as a way to mask the truth, then that's wicked. And if you look at the Bible, the false prophets, um, they always preach peace. They have, a, they have a nice, winsome, kind message that makes you comfortable and coddles you in your sin. And that, 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 that's what false prophets do. It's harmful to God's people. So I think we should reject it. And as you say, it doesn't, it, it doesn't resonate with people. Um, as it, as we've seen Dusty Deaver's message in his, in his campaign, it has resonated with people. I think there's a, there's a few things that are jumping into my brain, uh, connecting the idea of authority. So what, what the left really doesn't want is Christians to live with authority. That's right. And what we have is authority in Christ. We often compromise that authority by our own sin and not calling one another to repentance. But when we're living a repentant life under the authority of God's word, powered and empowered by the spirit, we have an authority that is, that is not of this world. We, we, we represent a kingdom that transcends the kingdoms of this world and transforms them. So the concept of authority, um, this idea about masking the truth yet everybody knows what's really the truth. So I'm just thinking of how many times politicians are tripped up when they get a mic shoved in their face and said, did you really see, or the Christian gets a mic shoved in the, in, sorry, did you really say, and then a Christian gets the same mic shoved in their face. Did you really say, and so often it's in those moments where, where politicians and Christians try to backtrack and mm -hmm. qualify. And, um, in doing that, when they backtrack, they're trying to mask the truth that actually everybody has already identified is what they just said. Yeah, that's and, right. And just doubling down. And so I'm I'm thinking of one of our um one of our Canadian uh politicians, um, Pierre Polyev, who is kind of learning this. And it's kind of funny. If you follow him on Twitter now, you're kind of just seeing him there, you know, sitting there biting an apple. Um, this is you know, <laughs> light I saw that guy. That was a yeah, great you video. Saw, yeah, you saw the guy, right? And then and uh, and like it or not, this is kind of where uh, where Trump uh, does well, and then maybe goes too far. And and even right now, though, I'm, I'm watching. I'm I'm looking at Ron DeSantis tweeting out, and it seems like DeSantis has really learned some of this, you know, in, in governing clearly and and speaking clearly. So again, uh, congratulations, Dusty. Uh, we are, we're very happy. Uh, we, we pray that this will be a fruitful ministry for you. It'll bless your church. Thank you for doing it. And we need more Christians mm -hmm. to step into the public sphere, whether that's in public evangelism or public politics, policymaking, or uh, public pastoring. You know, we need pastors to step out of their buildings and, and figure out where we're calling in the streets. Um, the third thing that jumped out at, at me uh, on this one was that when we do not actually preach clearly, we're not actually teaching the gospel. So, so many mm. guys would say I'm gospel centered and you go, but wait a minute, like, no, you're, that's man centered. That's psychotherapy centered. That's gimmick centered. That's, right. that's actually not the gospel. So I was sitting around with a young pastor in Kentucky here and he was just talking about, you know, getting involved in church planting and he gave the old classic well, you know what? I really like this organization because they're big on contextualization. And I go, oh, what does that mean? As if I don't know. And so he's explaining to me, well, the, the, the rich people up on the hill, they, they're there. And then you've got this really impoverished section down here. And, and we, you know, we think about it. Okay. All right. So how do you approach them differently? Of course, this is where when you start getting into the specifics, nobody has any real answers. <laughs> and it's like, well, with the rich people, we – we like, we really, we just really seek to do things excellently. And then, and then with, with the poor people, we just really try to pay them off. Like, like it's, it's like, there, there's, so just a few basic questions and, and, you know, you realize that 
yeah, you know what's missing here is is a gospel presentation. Like you, you've, mm-hmm. the gospel is missing. Uh, you're so worried about the people that you don't realize that they are people who are in need of a savior because they are sinners, and that is about it. Introduce them to Jesus. So. Yeah. Um, these are important discussions as we move forward. I'm glad that you've been a part of uh, this movement to speak plainly, and uh, yeah. it, it's great to be a part of it. But whenever you, whenever you speak plainly and directly, you're you're dealing you're dealing in truth that often is unwelcome and uncomfortable to be spoken, and that will trigger emotion in the hearer, um, and the 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 thing that is very difficult to do very counterintuitive is when you see and like you know if you're if you're speaking and you're a pastor especially you you see what's happening in that person you can recognize okay they're emotional they're upset they're angry and the temptation is to back down and to you know say well you know listen uh you know I, and and you give some qualifiers. Well, you know, I didn't I didn't mean it exactly that far, but you know, and and you because what you you don't want to offend them, and you want to preserve the relationship, and that's that's a temptation for anybody. And pastors are especially prone to people pleasing. Um, it's a occupational hazard. When what is most needed in that moment is 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 like you're when you see the emotion, then you're over the target. Uh, you know that you are you're hitting a nerve. And the emotion is the opportunity for pastoral care uh, and for correction. So the emotion, it's like, you know what, you know, this seems to be upsetting for you. Um, and for you to kind of keep your nerve and to be calm in the face of that opposition and emotion is so critical. And we, that, that's when we abandon ship because we panic. It, it's really interesting because what you're talking about is in a conversation, people sense the tension grow mm-hmm. and they want to alleviate the attention by taking a step backwards. But what you're talking about and what I, what I have found and what we counsel people on regularly as we're, as we're, as we're coaching young adults in, in the professional world or, or uh, within the church, the tension releases if you step through it mm-hmm. rather than stepping back from it. The tension still releases. They might start crying and, and get it really upset. And you have to keep walking them through and then yeah. you console them and you keep, or they, they might get, they might get livid and slam the door in your face. Uh, tension still relieved. Uh, <laughs> like there's lots of ways that the tension releases, but the only way to release it in a way like you, like you just mentioned about pastoral care and being able to deal with the issues and call people to repentance, call people to transformation is to, is to just take that next step forward. So I always say to people, it seems like you're at eight and then you back off, just, just push to 10. Yeah. Let, 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 let the, let the crescendo happen. Yeah. And then keep your mind, as you've just said, keep your counsel, uh, be gentle, teach correct and, and, and teach with gentleness and, and thoughtfulness and insight from scripture. And you're going to well, release that tension at the same time. Yeah. I, th- I think we're driven by conflict avoidance and we, we do that because we think that conflict is ungodly or unchristian. Um, because they're, they're, we think like, well, you know, we're peacemakers and Jesus is the Prince of peace. So we don't want to cause any conflict or tension and, we define the pastoral ministry in feminine terms where it's it's all bedside manner and hospice care and holding hands and comforting and reassuring and you know there's a there's an element of that uh, for those that are suffering but i would say the bulk of pastoral ministry is teaching and correcting rebuking training and righteousness which is what we are told explicitly um, the ministry is comprised of Um, and that means if you're teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, as Second um, Timothy three sixteen, I believe, um, describes the what the Word of God does, and of course, the pastor is a minister of that Word. When you do that, you're going to encounter hostility because you're challenging, you're pushing, you're you're saying, "Hey, Michael, you're in error here." Hey, Michael, there's something I see in your life that that really you need to you need to mortify this sinful temptation or whatever it is. It's like you're pushing on something. And of course we don't want to be pushed because we want to justify ourselves and we want to avoid accountability. That's human nature. And so the, the pastoral ministry involves the sort of conflict that we most want to avoid. And then we want to paper it over with this veneer of niceness and call it gospel centered uh, compassion or kindness. But really we're, we're, we're avoiding the most difficult work. And that's why we, the many churches that have kind of bought into this thinking 
they are overrun with the sentimental syrupy sweet niceness and they can't they can't handle anything that challenges or confronts and it and we're weaker for it so um I had I had two thoughts that were competing in my head <laughs> as to wh where did I want to go with that. So first of all, I'll go with the first thought. First thought would be you've rightly linked also the 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 position of God's word in the pastoral role because so often that the only reason why you would push to confront is because God's word is speaking to an issue. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's a matter of if it's a matter of uh, uh, preference or something that you know, I, do I like wearing Ezra t-shirts all day long, or do I like wearing uh, Christ the King uh, church t-shirts all day long? I, I think it is, right? You got a yeah, church t-shirt yeah, yeah. on, right? So, <laughs> so like, okay, that's preference. We're not going to, but if there's something where God's word is really pushing us, and that's the thing, if you don't push forward, you're actually not representing God's word in the moment, mm -hmm. which leads to going back all the way back. That's how you end up sliding from being someone who might be a hireling into someone actually mm. being a false prophet. Mm. And, and oh, that's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a pretty big, uh, dangerous thing. The other thing that was going on in my brain was let's have this conflict. Let's, let's, uh, let's do an example right now uh, about a real life issue going on between you and me right now. And that is, okay. there is a we young couple. This, Michael. We got to resolve a young this, couple. Michael. What's that? We got to resolve this. We need to have it out. Conflict right now. That's right. Let's go. And, uh, this young couple is going, so we, we have a young couple between our churches. One, one grew up in Michael's church. One is in my church and, uh, Michael and I are having an all out battle for where these people are going <laughs> to land. And I think he's winning, but I would just like to say to you that I think your preaching is weak and they shouldn't go to your church. <laughs> Well, I've, I've I've not heard your preaching, Michael. So so maybe uh, maybe it is weak compared to what you do. Again, there were there's been two conferences I've not been invited to. There, ah. there were there are opportunities for you to hear my preaching. I have gone and sat under yours. I just I just don't think you deserve these two young incredible people who I would shamelessly name right now, but for the fear of someone hearing some type of rumor that they were like already engaged or something like that. So you know who you are. <laughs> don't, don't go to that false prophet's church. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's they're a wonderful couple and. Um, it, it, it is really uh, exciting for me because I, the, the young man, especially, uh, that's, um, he's a, he's a wonderful godly man. And I'm, I'm really excited that it seems as though he's found a woman that will be a great fit for him. I think they will make a great couple. If the Lord kind of sees them all the way through to marriage, um, that I'm really excited for them. And if they end up here, praise God, if they end up at your church, Michael, praise God, both of them are good churches. So. We'll, we'll let the Lord decide. <laughs> we'll cast lots and then I'll come <laughs> up and no, uh, I've loved, I've loved our friendship so far, Mike. It's, it's actually fantastic. And, uh, having this common, uh, th this common kind of competitiveness is so fun. So yeah. you know, th thank you for engaging with me on that one. All right. So <laughs> let's go to our last topic. I'm reading a tweet from Rhonda Santez right now. It says Satan has no place in our society and should not be recognized as a religion by the federal government. I'll chip in to contribute to this veterans legal defense fund. Good prevails over evil. That's the American spirit. And of course, he is retweeting an, uh, a tweet by The Blaze. A Christian veteran has torn down and beheaded the Satanic Temple statue in the Iowa State Capitol. Um, you've heard about this story. Do yeah. you know? Do you do you know the names of this uh, of this uh, Christian veteran who's done this? And uh, I I think the framing of this conversation for us is kind of extending uh, beyond talking and speaking plainly, but now continuing on the fact that it does freedom of religion include Satanism. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a very interesting point. So the, the guy's name is Michael Cassidy. I'm pretty sure. Um, and it's interesting because I've heard some of the things that I've heard that Christians have said about it and they want to treat Satanism as as a religion that should be protected uh, by the First Amendment. Okay, now pause. And, 
Why would any Christian want to do that? Can you try to give my listener what you would what what you would think would be the the assumptions they have to accept there in order to actually say that out loud? So you know, I'm just going to pretend that you know Christ and I, I I'm on the road to Emmaus with him, and I just put up my hand and say, but we want freedom of religion, right, Jesus? And so, like Satanism and idols, we don't want to deal with any of those. Like they. They should be free to have equal footing as to the faith, the worldview, the kingship that you are calling us to, right? And then everybody who's ever a Christian who's ever read their Bible would go, no, no, Jesus would go all the way back to Moses and he would explain how he is the king of kings, lord of lords, and what I just said was rubbish. But those same people will say what you've just said. So can you try to help our listener maybe put together some dots as to why Christians would want Satanism to be a free religion in the United States. It's it's ironic because they, the ones who would say that would probably be the ones that would be most opposed to anything called Christian nationalism, not realizing that the very worldview that wants them to support the satanic statue is uh, is a misapplication of a Christian doctrine. So why why do we value freedom of religion? They would think that well, this was given to us by the Constitution. And so what they've done is they've created a a document or a, a worldview that stands above Scripture. And so the Constitution of the United States that is the law of our land. That is the highest doctrine. And so since it affirms freedom of religion, therefore any religion that uh, could could claim that status should be recognized and given given sanction and freedom. What they fail to realize is that the Constitution uh, was given to us, what uh, w- was created out of a Christian worldview. So the, the Christian scriptures are prior to, and the freedom that we enjoy is a fruit of the gospel. It is a fruit of the Christian religion in particular. So uh, all no other world religion has the basis for freedom of religion. It is something that Christianity gives us and the freedom of religion that is uh, represented in our uh, constitution um, generally applied to different Christian denominations. And it was not meant to apply to religions that were diametrically opposed to the Christian worldview. Um, so why does Christianity promote religious freedom? It is because you can't convert people by the sword. And that's what the the anti-Christian nationalist people think that Christian nationalists believe. They think, well, if you want a Christian nation, that means you want to convert people by the sword and force them to become Christians. But that's no such thing. Um, a Christian nationalist knows that you can't convert a person by the edge of the sword. You need to create conditions where the gospel can take root and can be proclaimed freely such that people can receive the gospel and have an environment to preach the gospel freely so that men can receive it because it is the gospel that makes men free. And we have to, we, we were converted by a work of the spirit of God and not a work of our own or we don't force people to do it. So the constitution came from a Christian worldview, a Christian foundation, and no other religion could have produced it. So if we, if we say, okay, our religious freedom should then, uh, should recognize Satanism, then we're actually recognizing as a religion, the very thing that would undermine the freedom that we've given it. Satanism would not. So if, if let's say Satanism were to take hold all across our nation. Religious freedom would be the first thing to go. All Christians would be banned. It would be be thrown out the window. Same thing with Islam. If Islam were the law of the land, Sharia law does not recognize Christianity. Christians would be banned. Religious freedom. um, So basically we have to, we have to recognize that this is, this is the language that we use to describe the promotion of something good and anything that opposes that good Satanism being example of it should be opposed. And it is not as though Christianity is a public good, and Satanism is a public good, and we need to recognize both of them in this free marketplace of ideas. Satanism is is something that represents um, a even if the ones who adhere to it would say that they don't believe in a personal Satan. It's more of a it's more of a spirit of uh, you know rebellion against the system or whatever they say about it. Regardless, it is not something that is demonstrably a public good that should be recognized. And so it is. It is harmful to our society, and it, we, I, I, there, I see no obligation for us to recognize it in our constitution as such, because it is. It is a harmful. It, it is a harmful worldview to our society. Does that make sense? What I'm saying, Michael? 
No, it totally does. Um, I think I think it's also just the misnomer because we've we've had the pleasure of having the inheritance of a of a Christian inheritance. Um, we we don't recognize when we inherently inherently think Christian thoughts like there is good and evil, and then we deny where. And, and, but because it's so inherent and we're, and we're not reflecting, we don't understand where, where the source of good is. Yeah. And, and so I think we're being confronted with this um, now uh, with the rise of Islam. This is going to be, I, you know, I, I, I've talked many times on this podcast. I think right now Islam worldwide is entering a different phase of, um, of jihad, which is phase two uh, in, in many locations uh, the jihadists are in, uh, in, in open violence. But in, in the Western world, we're seeing a dominant uh, presence, which says, look, if, if the infidels don't do anything, then leave them be, but, but display your strength. And so we're seeing protests, mm-hmm. we're seeing uh, you know, highways shut down, we're, we're seeing in, in the name of, of, of you know, protesting for, um, for the Gaza Strip and for, the, for Hamas – uh, in the Gaza Strip, you're seeing a, a a dominance, and so again, so Christians are going to have to grapple with this. And I think the way you've explained it is very helpful uh, because we, when we talk about freedom of religion, it we are talking about um, having that within the confines of being able to restrain evil, because of course that's what First Corinthians is about. That's the role of the government is mm-hmm. to restrain evil. So if you promote Satanism, like you've just said, you're not restraining right, right. evil. Yeah, it says it in um, two places, Romans and in First um, Peter. Promote the good and punish evil is right. the purpose of government. So like, what is what is the purpose of Satanism? It is, it is to do the inverse. It is to promote evil and punish the good. So how can we recognize both at the same time? We can't. And, and There has to be can, something that we presuppose that is higher to and prior to the Constitution. And what we can recognize is that there will be Satanists who privately decide to um, – participate in divination and, and privately decide, and, and, and you can't go and make that person a Christian by giving them an ultimatum. But what you can do is create a just society. And this goes uh, to what you were talking about, about, because again, very simple concept that my listeners know, and and I repeat all the time, like law is a good teacher. So when you are, when you're going and you're teaching them, them God's law, and you're doing that by, uh, policy procedure and, and by um, uh, the, the code of law, by the rule of law, then what, what ends up happening is people move from this idea of, oh yeah, like Satanism and Christianity are neutral to, no, I see that for what it is. It's evil. And I, I don't want to participate in it and I want to repent of participating in it. So you really do have this, um, you really do have this need for the government to have a Christian perspective that restrains evil, the first use of the law and promotes good. And then that will help the environment flourish, but you're not, you know, people are still sinning in private and, and, and the severity of that sin is also different so that, you know, if, if they're caught with certain things, then they're punished. Mm-hmm. And uh, the alternative is chaos and uh, we, we've seen exactly what's going on. Actually, the alternative is actually just statism because it's either a false religion who's going to take control of the state or a false secularism that's going to control the state. Okay, on this dialogue, I want to bring up the Ezra Institute, Michael. So uh, you've you've heard of the Ezra Institute and we've talked about it. I have. And, uh, you're actually going to do an ad read on your podcast <laughs> later for the Ezra Institute. I want you to practice your ad read right now for my audience, uh, everyone – Instead of having to hear it in my whiny, tinny up, you're going to hear this from a, from a strong, deep American. His, his mic is set to far and dark. Uh, <laughs> folks, we, we, you know, Liberty Coalition Canada is in partnership with, with Christian Week. We're in partnership uh, with, with the Ezra Institute as far as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ thinking about deep things. Uh, you know, we're in partnership with the Fight Laugh Feast Network. We're on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. We're in partnership with local churches uh, uh, like the relationship that Michael and I have. And so that's the blessing 
of doing this type of podcasting, doing this type of work, uh, you, you get to work with Christians all over. And one of the places we really want to promote is the Ezra events that are coming up this summer for the Worldview Leadership Academy. Mike, you want to, you want to, you want to do your yeah, professional I'll, ad read? I'll make a comment too. Um, whenever you first told me about this, uh, it was uh, towards the end of, I guess it was a few, it was several months ago and I wanted to send my children to it. Um, and it turns out that we, because it was going to be in Canada, we don't have passports for them. So they wouldn't have been able to go, which by um, the way, that's a total 40% of Americans don't have 40% of Americans have <laughs> never thought of list leaving this country. I cannot believe that. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I was like, I'm, I'm saying this as a, as an affirmation of what, of what this is and that I wanted my own kids to go to it because I believe in it. And I believe in Joe boot and the Ezra Institute. And I believe in you and your, your teaching. And I think it's so important for, for kids, high school age kids, especially to receive worldview training because they've, it's like Francis Schaefer uh, mentioned that the problem with our world is we see bits and pieces, but not in holes uh, or totals. And so uh, worldview training is able to put together, you know, like, uh, economics and science and uh, history and education, all these different things. Like these are these are things that are integrated, and there's a there is a worldview that helps to see all of these things through a Christian lens to put it all together, and that's important. Um, so th I think it's a great a great program, and I'm excited that the next one is going to be in the United States. Am I am am I right about that? We, we have two. I'll, I'm going to give the dates for everybody, okay, and then the you're gonna you're gonna. Have Maybe take a drink of water, get your throat really ready to go for this amazing <clears throat> ad. Right. All right, here we go. Here we go. So everybody, the dates for our uh, Worldview Youth Academy, uh, I say our because I'm going to be teaching here uh, in the U.S. are July 12th to July 18th, and that's going to be held at Wafloy Mountain Village Christian uh, Retreat Center, which is uh, near Gatlinburg. So we're really excited about that setting. I've My wife and I have literally uh, enjoyed an, uh, an Airbnb up on the mountain, looking down on this Christian resort and the Ezra Institute researched the resort. And I said, are, are you kidding me? Like I'm, I can drive by there and check that out on our way home. So really excited about that. And then of course we, we have our normal worldview youth Academy up in Canada, July, uh, July 28th to August 2nd. And so there are, there's a U.S. location and, and Michael, we really hope that you, and we have a good Cincy, uh, since he presence there, you and a number of the churches there, if we can get young adults with our with our young adults, it would be great to have a presence there. And of course, for all of you in Canada, uh, you want to be going on July 28th to August 2nd. So here we go. Without further ado, this is Pastor Michael Clary doing an ad read for the Ezra Institute. Calling all Christian parents, give your child the ultimate gift this Christmas, enrollment uh, you've got a typo in here. Enrollment right. them. All right, let's start over. I'm gonna have to I'll have to I know, read. I know that's it. my fault. This is last right. minute shooting off the cuff. <laughs> the word is enroll. Calling all Christian parents. Give your child the ultimate gift this Christmas. Enroll them in the Ezra Worldview Youth Academy, 14 to 18 years old. Equip them with a strong Christian foundation. Empower them to be cultural leaders. Shape a bright future. Worried about the content? We've designed it to address the serious and practical questions young adults are asking. Register now and get the early bird price of $50 off your enrollment. Go to EzraInstitute.com today. How was that? I, I believe you. I, I, now, hurry, while supplies last. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, worldview training is so important, as you've just mentioned, about putting things together. I find the most exhilarating thing about being a part of this type of training is watching young adults go, I've been asking that question for years and mm. we've I've never grappled with it. You know, one of the you know, and, and parents as well. So something something I figured out in doing a bit of research in the last few weeks is that for the Ezra Institute, our our largest demographic are young parents and i'm going to put you and 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 me in that category so so parents between their 35 to 55 and mm. then their young adults it's interesting how often we bump into people who are listening to the podcast listening to joe's podcast or my podcast or your podcast and um it's like adult parents with their almost adult children 
so we, we want to try to have our training for all of those age brackets. We, we actually have the, um, the cultural leadership Academy who is, that's more for pastors and more for guys, our age. Um, that's also going to be offered in, I think Atlanta, Georgia this summer. I, I, I could just check that instead of saying, I think, but the point, uh, Michael, I'm trying to make about that is like the concept of education. Do you know how many people just don't think about the nature and the power of education? And they just assume teachers unions are fantastic. Big mm -hmm. classrooms are amazing. And I can't do it as a parent. And uh, we as a church should never even think about tackling education together. But when you just sit back and explore that topic philosophically, theologically, and practically, so many people leave and their entire, you know, their entire concepts about it have changed and it allows them to live a Christian worldview with more consistency mm -hmm. and, and uh, develop a more robust Christian culture. Yeah. Well, they think that education is the government's job. And as a parent, I just got to, you know, kind of bring them up and get them to about five years old, keep them alive, uh, maybe teach them the alphabet and then send them off to kindergarten. And the government takes over from there, not realizing that education is discipleship. Um, you know, my friend Wade Thomas, he says schools are churches and that they are doing more than just teaching, reading, writing and arithmetic. Uh, schools are discipling people, catechizing children in a worldview teaching them how to think about the world, how to, how to, how to perceive the, the reality around them. And this is very evident in the, the indoctrination of gender ideology, that how it's all over schools. They know that schools is the place that they need to press at home uh, because that's how you capture the next generation. And so education is so important. Uh, but yes, we've, we, we, we just take things to be true without even reflecting on it until somebody stops us in our tracks and says, have you actually thought about that? And that's what, you know, uh, I'm sure the Ezra Institute does is that they 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 confront you with ideas and make you wrestle through things that you maybe not even realize. Hey, I need to think about this, and I've always just sort of been on autopilot about it. So I think I think it's hugely important. I'm glad you're doing it. And, and the way that we set up the weeks, our earlier part of the week is foundational, and then second part of the week moves into practical. So you know, everybody, really, you come, you learn how to think, and then you learn how to apply that thought, which. I really love falls within the biblical category of wisdom. So everybody, um, the cultural leadership Academy is June 29th. It's earlier than the other two academies, June 29th to July 8th. And that is going to be in, in, um, Huntsville, Alabama. So I, I, I was, uh, I was, I was off on my location when I, when I wasn't referencing <laughs> my notes. So anyways, uh, Michael, we have four minutes left. What do you want to talk about? Now you can put me on the hot spot or the hot seat or however we want to word that volcanic term. Tell me uh, what's, uh, what are you excited about right now for the next year, 2024? Anything got you jazzed up, fired up? Yeah. You know what, what it comes to my mind immediately is that our church has been praying for Georgetown college. Mm. Um, keep driving by that place and asking the Lord to give me the George, give me, give me Georgetown college. And, and what I mean by that is uh, Lord, we, we want, we want the people, we want, we want the souls, we want the bodies, we want the, we want the kingdom of heaven to invade Georgetown college. And I haven't figured out how to do it yet. Um, in the sense of, uh, you know, are we just going to stand outside the library? The library has proverbs etched in stone on the walls hmm. of the library. Um, are we just going to stand outside there and, and do open air preaching? Um, you know, are we going to, are we gonna start? Um, are we gonna start like missional communities? I, I hate to use those words just because they are so trendy, but I, I I do like the concept of a group of people intentionally just inviting students into their homes on a regular basis mm -hmm. and 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 in introducing them to Christ. I, I don't got know. an idea for you. Okay, all right. This is something we did. We're so we're on the doorstep of the University of Cincinnati, about five yeah. blocks away. Um, there was a couple members of the church that cooked up this idea of uh, cooked. That's a uh, ironic choice of words, given what I'm about to say. Um, yeah, it's literally like we literally cooked up this thing. Um, but the guys decided, you know, hey, what? Let's um, let's go up on campus and we'll set up a charcoal grill 
and put a table out that says, if you ask a Christian a question, we'll give you a free hot dog. Uh, and we put signs up. And, and of course, the first day we did it, we've done it twice. The first day was beautiful weather, lots of traffic walking through. And people walk by and they're and we're like, hey, you want a free hot dog? And they're like, sure. And I'm like, do you have a question for a Christian? And they're like, uh, and then they'll they'll ask something. Um, and it was so easy, so straightforward. And generally, if uh you know you can you can uh read read their expression and see are, are they interested in further dialogue. And so they'll ask a question like, well, what's your favorite Bible verse? Or what does being a Christian mean to you? And then you give an answer. And then, then you know, if they seem open, then you can say, you know, well, what do you think? Were you raised in church? Do you have any uh, beliefs about God or the Bible? And then off you go. We had so many opportunities to share Christ with people. Um, and, you know, it's a, and of course, because we're close, we can just invite them to church. It's a natural thing to invite them to church. Um, it's been a wonderful thing. It's a simple, it's cheap, you know, um, you know, a bunch of hot dogs and, and buns, ketchup and mustard. And that's it. Although I think it's weird to put ketchup on hot dogs. Maybe I'm, uh, an outlier there, but, uh, anyway, an it's, outlier. yeah. Well, what do you, what do you put on hot dogs in Canada? I mean, do you, do you even believe in hot dogs? It, it totally depends on where you're at and what you're doing. Right. And so like, if you're just at home, basic hot dog, ketchup and mustard and I, i'm an outlier with rejecting relish i, I don't like relish yeah, i don't like dog. relish either i'm with but if i'm like that. downtown like if i'm going if i'm going I, I would never go watch a blue jays game anymore i am a I am a happy <laughs> reds fan now amen um, and not just because i moved to cincinnati but because the blue jays have gone so gay um they're just <laughs> they're just rainbow gay um i believe didn't no pete rose was with the expos he was with the Expos for like half a season or something. I don't know. The only thing I know about him is he got charged for something at some point. See, Pete I, Rose is a local Cincinnati guy, home oh, uh, a hit king I just got of all into time. A lot of trouble. Yeah, well, so, but but he's a local Cincinnati guy, and he played for the Reds. He right. played for the Phillies a little bit, and he did a very very short stint with the Expos. Yeah, uh, and the Expos don't even exist anymore, as I'm if I'm not mistaken, right? So maybe I'm dating yeah, myself no, here, they, but he know, did. They don't exist anymore. So anyway, but back to the um, food, you, you, what you really want, you want onion, tomato, tomato, ketchup, kind of hot yeah, dog. Onion can, what tomato. is the, ma okay, Michael, next time uh, we talk want, on the podcast, you want, I hate you. Bits, you want, I'm, we're not like, friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or you go for a chili dog, like a Coney, which is, uh, <laughs> which is what you can do. Okay. But on that point, I want to, I want to, so let me. Let me just let's answer a few questions for listeners that they might have about your answer. So question number one, isn't that bribery? Uh, no, it's a gift. It's okay, a, so it's my a, answer for that would be yes, and I don't care. Like, like it's not it's not <laughs> there you go, plain speech. It, it's not, yeah, like it's not technically bribery. Like, I'm not giving them this to do something immoral, but yeah, you they know what's happening and I know what's happening. I'm suckering them in for a hot dog. And they're uh, they're getting suckered into a conversation, and I would probably would feel like I'd have to admit that in order to do it, but I would do it. So, like I, again, I don't mind it when the church says, "Hey, we're doing something attractive." I just don't like it when they deny it. Okay. Uh, second question would be, um, how quickly were your people able to get to the gospel in those types oh, of conversations? Immediately. Within a couple minutes. Um, Why? Well, they were able to utilize something that they said. And of course, the the people that were there, it, this was like an impromptu um, outreach. So the people that were showed up for it were the people that were really hungry to share their faith. So they 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 had some experience and skill. Um, but, you know, like, for example, one person had heard of the fruit of the spirit, and that was his question. So so tell me, what is the what is the fruit of the spirit? What does that mean to you? And so a friend of mine, Eric, um, he said, well, the fruit of the spirit, that's actually in Galatians five. Let me read it to you. And while we're here, let's read about the works of the flesh. And, uh, and he talked about the works of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit and the way, uh, out of one and into the other is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Boom. Uh, he shared, and he was able to share with, you know, uh, I don't know, five or six people that had started to listen in. Um, but it was, it was easy to get to the gospel. Um, and, and I think because we, we look normal we're giving away hot dogs. You know, we don't, we don't look like a cult. <laughs> um, so I, we're just I, like, I, I disagree, but that's subjective. That's fine. 
Like, okay, you heard it here, folks. Michael Thiessen thinks I look like a cult leader. Yeah, I that's I. <laughs> I've literally been called a cult leader at least six times. In well, the you last are a cult year, leader. You don't so... look like one, but you are one. <laughs> our next door neighbors, we moved in, and our whole church was meeting at our whole church was meeting at our house like every week. They finally came over. They joined us. They're great people, and like ten weeks later, they finally said, "Oh, we were so worried that you were a cult." <laughs> and I said, well, you haven't participated in the bloodletting service yet, so uh, maybe. Um, no, this is really good. My dad is actually a part of a ministry like this um, uh, up in up in Canada called um, the Ontario Farmers, and uh, they go out and they hand out walking sticks, and hmm. the walking sticks have the uh, you know explanation of the gospel attached to them, and uh, they just say, "Look, we like to give you this stick, and the only thing we're asking is that we can can we explain to you why." We want to give you this stick. And they say, great. Say, we want to give you this stick in order to explain to you the gospel. Mm. And it worked. And it, it's really great. It's a, it's a wonderful ministry and people hear the, hear the gospel. So yes, that's a good idea. I'm going to implement uh, some part of it. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe you guys come down and join us. So we come up to, uh, up to your campus and join you for some fun, for some uh, churches working together on some stuff. All That'd right. Great. Everybody, we appreciate you listening as Per usual and these topics are all important so would you share this video around would you help christians learn how to articulate and 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 not be articulate their faith and not be bullied around of course that's what we really love to achieve on this podcast thank you for sharing godspeed <laughs>